There's so much that I can say about my queerness. It's inherently a part of me since I can remember, but I'll try to fit it in <laughs> to 30 minutes. I want to touch on the struggle that I've faced, not just with others, but internally, and feeling somehow inadequate in both spaces, so straight or not, and the erasure of my identity by myself and letting others influence that. I know this is something that others can relate to. I have genuine romantic sexual and deep love feelings for people regardless of their gender. Whether that makes me bisexual or pansexual, I don't know, but I just call myself queer. I find that that's the statement that fits me best and that's the identity that I really resonate with. And just because I married a man doesn't mean that I'm less queer than anyone else. Just because I'm married to a man doesn't mean that I'm done seeing other people either. We make a lot of assumptions about others because pretty much all of that is rooted in heteronormativity. I'm your host, Berna, and I deal with topics at the intersection of health, culture, and sexuality. No topic is off-limits as I tackle issues that affect our intimate lives from the health-related to the raunchy. This is Beyond the Bedroom. So when I share about my story and my queerness, something that I'm asked about a lot is compulsory heterosexuality. And I think that the master doc is making its resurgence right now. This term starts to trend every couple years on the internet. And just for some context, I was on Tumblr from 2009 to 2016. I wasn't active like the whole time, but I was on there and I've seen so many trends from the micro labels to the comp head master doc. I mean, some of this won't make sense to all of these listeners, but for those of you who know what I'm talking about, you've seen it all with me. So compulsory heterosexuality is very technically speaking. So the definition is the idea that heterosexuality is assumed and enforced by a patriarchal and heteronormative society. That being said, I think a lot of people misunderstand it, and unfortunately, it is sometimes a way to erase bisexuality when it's taken out of context. So it's it's also been used to erase just gender fluidity and pansexuality, and I've had a lot of bi panic, not when I read it the first time, but just the way that it's been touted and taken totally out of context and compulsory heterosexuality is a concept that can help a lot of people realize that they're gay. But when people take it out of context and use it to tell by people that they're just confused, it can be super harmful. And I've heard straight people tell me this, not just gay people. So compet is the nickname, and it's more than just convincing yourself that you're straight. There's a lot more layers to it than that. It has more to do with the gender norms and the idea that heterosexuality is this normal baseline in society. And 
for a lot of people, it, it does show up this way. For me, it showed up when someone were to ask what boy I liked when I was little. I picked a smart choice, one that others liked, not one that I necessarily had attraction to, but one that felt, you know, he looks like he would be the most attractive. I had crushes when I was younger on girls, but they weren't romantic. They were crushes the way that kids do. Familiar, exciting, longing. And... The thing is, the Kinsey scale, which a lot of people reference, was actually meant to be a check-in point at various times in people's life. So it was based on this idea that sexuality can ebb and flow, and it can be fluid for people throughout their lifetime. Some argue that sexuality might not change, but the consciousness of it does, which makes sense also. Some people may presume they're straight since that's the norm and then come out as lesbian and then realize later that they're actually bi and then use the word queer. Oh wait, (laughs) that was me. That's literally my story. The idea of sexuality being a fluid individual thing was if it were a more widely accepted concept, Maybe I wouldn't have battled so much with the fact that I liked men when I realized that I did. Or maybe I wouldn't have contested my worthiness in the queer community when I was realizing that I was bi. And maybe I wouldn't have dealt with any homophobic violence. Who knows? I don't often dive into my own personal history but it feels important to do so in this topic. And the reason that I bring up Compet is because it's something that a lot of people identify with, but I kind of had an opposite story. And I also want to discuss in particular queer isolation. So many of us go through it, especially when we realize our queerness in a space that is particularly unforgiving about it. So from a young age, maybe like five or six or even even younger, I knew I was a little bit different than other girls. And as I grew up, like throughout elementary school, I was so not into the hair pulling or the chasing from boys. It was so not exciting to me. I just didn't get it, Um, and no one should be, but (laughs) it's a different conversation. But I was kind of constantly daydreaming about having like a best friend in the way that Barbie princesses did. Someone to live with, to be with for a long time, who's a girl, or maybe even have a family together. I was not opposed to the idea of playing house and having two mommies. It was, that was more exciting to me. When I was eight, though, this rogue event occurred, and I had a crush, a real crush, on a boy for the first time. And it was pretty memorable in my life because I didn't have any real feelings for a boy again until pretty much later on, like around 16. And side note, I did reunite with that first boy crush, and I am now married to him. But that is a story for another episode. Although I was born in New York City and I lived there for years before moving to Iceland two years ago, 
I grew up mostly just over the New York border in Connecticut. In particular, a very conservative pocket of the state. A lot of people were moral policing others. There was a lot of gossip and there was a lot of behind the scenes drama going on there. It's very put together on the outside. Everything's kind of a mess on the inside. That's that's a running theme of growing up in this in this place. And throughout middle school, so going back to my little timeline, I started thinking that maybe there was just something wrong with me. This is like when that idea started to emerge. I had always known that I was different. I started thinking like, oh, is there maybe something wrong? So when other girls talked about boys, I was trying again to think of like the smartest choice of who to like. And eventually I started liking the attention I got from a boy more than actually liking him. So this is kind of that compulsory heterosexuality idea coming up. But I knew that I liked girls. I just was trying to hide it by being like, oh, um, no, well, I like the attention from him. So that looks like I must like him. And And I thought to myself, you know, this must be how girls feel. But... I realized that, you know, it wasn't. And doing a little Googling (laughs) made me realize that maybe not all other girls felt this way. So I was around 13 and I started to really like this one girl in particular. And it was just kind of puppy love. Obviously, we were so young and we didn't do anything sexual, but we like held hands sometimes and cuddled when watching a movie. She was like my first kiss, technically. I mean, I had kissed like other girls pretending like to play house and stuff when I was younger, but that doesn't really count, I guess. So I just want to insert a content warning here regarding violence, in particular sexual violence. So if that just made your heart pound a little bit or you held your breath or anything, just skip ahead like five minutes or stop listening. That's totally okay too. So this girl that I like, her older brother caught on to what was going on. I guess he had read our messages or something. And long story short, he sexually assaulted me to the point of permanently damaging my insides. I never got justice in the, you know, regular sense of that word because a couple years later he killed himself. But he basically tried to, he sexually assaulted me because he tried to turn me straight or set me on that path. And he was also punishing me for being attracted to women at the same time. And he he made it very, very clear to me that that was his intention. And I'm not alone in this. It happens to people constantly. It's this violence against people to turn them or it's just a, it's a punishment also. A lot of us don't speak up about it out of fear, but I'm not afraid of the backlash anymore. And I'm not afraid of the uncomfort that comes with telling people about this because it happens to people so often and we just don't really talk about it. And I think it's genuinely a a part of the healing process to name that these things happen in our society. Going back to my timeline, on a school trip a bit later that year, I was roommates with a girl and she opened up about her sexuality and I told her in very like 
just simple terms what had happened to me and that I had been assaulted. The next day, she told a boy in order to, I guess, impress him with some sort of gossip. And little did they know that they were about to make the next few life, (laughs) the next few years of my life hell. She told people that I was having sex already, no mention of the assault. And people believed her. And in this conservative small town, this took its toll. People didn't want to be associated with me or they were really, really horrible to me, like behind the scenes, especially online. And boys would grope me, send me messages, sometimes threats if I didn't do whatever they wanted to do, all because I was supposedly easy, you know, being like the school slut. Keep in mind, I wasn't even consensually having sex. I didn't even really like boys. But my boundaries with boys got weaker and weaker because I, I was afraid that they would hurt me. And I had been hurt before. So I became also super depressed, anxious. I was trying to hide this all from the people closest to me. And on the surface, my life looked pretty kept together for the most part, but I was really falling apart. I started to like another girl later in high school, and I'll call her Diana for the sake of the episode. So we kept it a secret because she had a very religious, like, immigrant family that didn't approve, and they were trying to assimilate into the culture of this town. And I came from an immigrant family too, but they didn't, they didn't like go to church. There wasn't that much pressure in my home. So one time we were at a party and we snuck off into the hallway because she was like, please, I just want to give you a kiss. I was like, okay. And we snuck off into some place we didn't think anyone would see us. And when she was kissing me, I I realized that there was someone watching us and a guy that I found out later that he liked her. He kind of drunkenly began to like harass us and like try to get with us. And when we were We were pretty nice to him. We just didn't comply with it. And he was, we were like, no, no, no. We just like each other. We don't, we don't want you. And we were like trying to laugh it off. And he got really mad. I mean, I remember he punched a hole in the wall. It was so like cliche. But then he spread this horrible rumor about me being like predatory and forcing my sexuality on Diana and him like saving her. And it was so horrible. And I think we ended up actually breaking up because I just was starting to get really afraid of like people making that assumption if I was like with her in public. And then I started to like another girl about like a year or so later. And at this point, I was like begging the universe to take these feelings away. But Then I was going back and forth with like accepting and being in these online spaces where I was allowed to be myself. So, and I really liked her and I could tell she started to like me too. I invited her over and we started hooking up and I really, really liked her and I loved our sleepovers. I loved listening to her. I thought she was the prettiest person ever and I loved being around her, but I hated the panic it gave me to be with her in public. Through our relationship, I only let her like sit in my lap around people that I trusted. And I would get so anxious if she like wanted to even hold hands or kiss around people I didn't know well. I mean, I would get like stomach turning, chest tightening, palm sweating, panic because I don't know. I, I was so anxious about this and I was more anxious that they would like do what they did to me to her. And it would be my fault. So 
you know, anxiety can give us some pretty messed up irrational fears, right? And as people caught on, it became totally sexualized. So I got so many gross messages from guys in my grade and girls not wanting to be close with me because they thought I would like them or or try something with them. And seeing your friends gush over their boyfriend and you can't really show PDA with your girlfriend because it was weird. I mean, it made me feel really isolated, not being allowed at sleepovers or a cause of tension in locker rooms. It was just so isolating at times. And I did have friends though. (laughs) And surprise, a lot of them ended up coming out themselves. But I also had girlfriends that were straight that stood by my side because they just genuinely liked me and also straight guy friends that did the same. And their kindness is so, it had a huge lasting impact on me. And towards the end of high school, I actually started dating a guy who lived in the city and he accepted my sexuality because He had also been exploring with guys and he was really like an escape for me. And I moved out as soon as I graduated and I moved to New York City, which was not very far from my hometown, like literally minutes, but it was a place where I could just be myself. And looking back, it's funny because technically it was a heterosexual relationship with him, but he helped me accept my queerness without fear. And some of my friends from my town didn't get so lucky in their path to self-acceptance. They've been shunned by their families or or their religious communities. And a friend of mine in particular, she asked me, is it normal that I cry after sex because I just feel so dirty and wrong? And I told her that, you know, post-coital dysphoria is very common, but in this case, I mean, it could be internalized homophobia. I dealt with it too. I was convinced that something was wrong with me for a couple years. And an experience that a lot of us that are from that town, and I mean, all over the world (laughs) can relate to, is being totally invalidated or ostracized and just Being told that we're not having real sex or that this was a phase, we could pray it away or just turn it off. And a lot of us felt like we didn't have anyone but each other. Or we clung on to a partner to get us out of this mess. And it leads to a lot of codependency and bad decisions sometimes. But sometimes it's just about survival. So fast forward to today and, you know, after moving to New York City, I dated lots of different types of people and eventually I got married (laughs) this year and I'm really, really thankful for my husband and to be with someone who doesn't fetishize my identity. It's just a part of me and he accepts it and loves it. And he knows at the same time that it's not for him, that what I do is not for the male gaze in that regard. And if we were to explore this together, that me being with other women or other people in general would not be for him. And I think it's so important what he said to me the other day. It's for all bodies involved equally. And this shouldn't be something to applaud for, but it is because the bar is pretty low when it comes to acceptance. But he definitely goes above and beyond. But 
maybe it's because sexual identities are so misunderstood or the idea that queer femmes are made for the sexual enjoyment of men. We see this definitely in media and porn all the time. And it's an idea that I definitely have started to panic about myself. I have so often invalidated myself by wondering, what if I'm doing all of this for attention? But obviously I wasn't. And most of the time I was trying my best to avoid drawing attention to it. But it's those sneaky ideas that can often get in the way. Last episode, I talked about my body count or the body count in general. And I gotta admit that when it comes to my own, half were not men. And for a long time, I didn't know whether to include it when telling someone about my, you know, number. And I I never really kept count. Like I said, I just had this like estimate. But because I was so afraid to be invalidated, because I was told for a long time that that wasn't real sex until, you know, I I got into my own space and, and moved to New York and stuff. And I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and he said, in a non-binary world, they would all just count as humans. And that's so true. And I'm so glad that I came to that realization a couple years ago in regards to counting and the definitions of sex in my life, because I've had a lot of enriching experiences with humans of different gender identities and expressions. And so I had a chat with that same friend yesterday about how the idea of comp het stuff is really women-centered, which makes sense because it's about patriarchal ideals. But I also want to see the convo about how bisexual men or queer non-binary people are affected among other identities. Like you can be trans and be a lesbian or whatever else you want to identify as. And he says that he thinks that the acceptance of bisexual men will be this final step, so to speak. And I replied with the acceptance of sexuality as fluid over time is the last step for me. And the last step being, you know, very figurative here and pretty much also a joke. But, you know, the ideas we're talking about are really real. I think that the acceptance that people can identify however they want and the tolerance of fluidity will be that perfect metaphorical last piece of the puzzle. But then again, I value autonomy and I understand that people have different values. So maybe their queer utopia looks different. I want to answer a audience question this episode, and I might do this segment more often in other episodes too. So if you want to send in your questions, look at the link in the description for this episode. So the question is, I watch lesbian porn mostly, but I don't want to date girls. I find lesbian porn more relatable and hot than other types, but I'm really happy with my boyfriend too. I like to kiss girls when I'm drunk, but I don't ever take it any further. I'm not really sure what my sexuality is. And I can't really imagine myself dating a girl. So this is something that comes up a lot for for a lot of girls. And there's a lot of like theory you can apply here, right? It's the idea that, you know, girls are more touchy-feely with each other. So that type of physical intimacy is not considered bad or gay. And this idea that also you can have nuance within your queerness, right? So you can feel a little bit of it here and there, but not want romantic feelings. But 
here's my personal take on it. So you can watch lesbian porn and still consider yourself straight. It's a personal choice. And bear with me as I get a little sciencey. There's also this idea that women have more erotic plasticity, which is the idea that women are more aroused by anything sexually relevant. The issue I have with this, though, is that the studies are on this are purely on physical feedback, like labial erections or lubrication, and it isn't that much about desire. And for those of you familiar with the responsive versus spontaneous desire model, like Emily Nagowski, it makes me wonder how many people are just responding to their arousal versus actually considering if they want what they're viewing in porn. Anyway, that's a tangent, but basically you can label yourself however you'd want. If you consider yourself straight, that's fine. If you consider yourself bisexual, you're valid. Maybe you don't want to date girls because of internalized homophobia, or maybe it's because you know for sure that it's not for you. For people who say things like, you don't know until you try it, that's not really true. And anecdotally and with evidence, people often know their sexuality without having to make sure. And this idea can also be kind of coercive. Some people might want to take this a little bit further and say that they're sexually attracted to a gender without being romantic. But honestly, as long as you're making your expectations clear, if you do decide to go further, it's up to you how you label yourself. A similar question that I get sometimes is how can I experiment with girls if I'm not sure it's really right for me? This is something that gets a lot of people heated. I understand why. No one wants to feel fetishized or objectified or taken advantage of. I mean, unless that's your kink, right? So make sure you're not making anyone feel like an experiment. Feelings might come up, strong ones, on either side. So make your expectations very clear to yourself and others. Communicate your boundaries and expectations. Tell people that, I'm not looking for a relationship, I'm new at this or some variation of that. I know a lot of queer people will say, I don't want to hook up with someone like that. And I get that. And you're, you might be looking for a relationship or something more substantial, but we all started somewhere, right? And just because someone is looking for something different than your desired outcome doesn't mean we have to shun them. There is space for all kinds of exploration as long as everyone communicates their needs and nobody is being objectified. I have been in the position of a friend wanting to experiment with me because of my sexuality. Chances are, if they're thinking about it this much, they really want it. I started dating one of these experiment girls, and I just went back to being friends with another. And in another time where someone wanted to experiment with me, we had to stop talking and stop everything because it hurt too much to like someone who at the end of it, she was just using me. So it kind of runs the gamut here. But if people communicate their desired outcome and their expectations and when emotions do come up, they're dealt with. I mean, that's the lesson that I learned. So Straight girls can watch lesbian porn. Friends can make out because it feels good and then go back to being friends. Compulsory heterosexuality also does exist. People can come out later in life after that huge aha moment. There's a lot of nuance here. 
You can call yourself gay and be non-binary. That's also up to you. If someone identifies as something, it's usually after some thoughtful consideration. And it isn't up to you to decide what someone else is, even if you think that they're unsure. Homophobia is still rampant, even though we've made strides in a lot of places around the world. I'm not going to lie and say, oh, I'm glad that these things happened to me because they made me stronger. Of course, I wish I had been free from this kind of stigma and violence. And I'm going to leave you with this. I'm going to read something, a little quote for you all. It's from Gabrielle Noel, which is Gab Alexa on Instagram. They say, queerness is not measurable, but if it was, we would still be queer enough. I love this quote because it reminds me of the work I've done on myself to accept me as I am, regardless if others do or not. So if you like this episode, please remember to subscribe and you can check out more of my work at birna.net or my Instagram, bbirna. And as always, you're free to DM me your thoughts. I would love to hear them. Sending you all of the love all the way from Iceland. 